head into the Ringerverse to stay up to date with all things superheroes and nerd culture entertainment. Hosted by a rotating lineup of superfans at the Ringer, including Mallory Rubin and Van Lathan, shows will provide instant reactions to blockbuster releases, insightful backstories on canon, and mind-bending theories, as well as fresh takes on the latest news and rumors. Check out the Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Listeners, welcome. This is Sound Only. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Michael Peters. We're your Sound Only co-hosts, here to record our deepest, darkest thoughts about, I guess, a bunch of different A things. bunch of things. <laughs> we're we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna be going all over the gaff today. But including the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, as well as <laughs> Invincible. Now streaming on Amazon Prime. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the latest of the new Marvel Phase 19? Phase 20? Which which one is it? Is it? I mean, I don't want to say one thing. And then there was an it, idea. But the new, the new, there was an idea that Marvel would eventually go to space with, <laughs> with a new crop of superheroes. And in order to get there, we need to know... Who is going to be the next Captain America? Because if you'll recall, at the end of uh, the of Avengers Endgame, um, Captain America, in returning the Infinity Stones to their proper places in time, stopped off somewhere on the time stream to have a dance and a secret marriage with the love of his life, fully knowing that his best friend was across the globe getting tortured somewhere in a Russian lab, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Yikes. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, like uh, at the end, you know, he's, you know, Steve Rogers, old and gray, sitting on a bench, hands his shield to Anthony Mackie and says, it's, you know, it's, it's it's your turn now. I don't even remember what the dialogue is, but, you know, that's the idea. He's passing the mantle. Um. Falcon and the Winter Soldier begins with, well, you know, a really like high budget action scene with some wingsuits and George St. Pierre, whose return um, from the original Winter Soldier movie, uh, George Batrock, you know, stealing a POW and flying some choppers around or whatever. But 
after the action scene, there is a ceremony at the Smithsonian where um, Falcon just gives up the shield because he's just like, this is, it belongs to the, like, this shield is more about the man that held it, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so abdicating responsibility is where is where Falcon and the Winter Soldier starts. You know, I, that, yes, you are getting to the crisis of confidence that sort of sets up the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But yes. can we just talk for a second about the action sequence that opens, <laughs> that, that, opens I, this that I kind of breezed by? Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause, cause I, I, well, okay. I think we've been good lately about laying our cards on the table <laughs> uh, about <laughs> sort of like where, like what yeah. we think, right? And, and as mm-hmm. I say, the previous two episodes, what did we talk about, Michael? We talked about Attack on Titan a show that I shaded for a long time before I actually like watched the most recent seasons of it. And -hmm. I came away positive and I was, I was very, I was frankly floored by the end of season three of attack on Titan. Very positive conversation we had. Then we talked about the Snyder cut again. I was surprised by my own capacity for positivity and praise. I'm proud of you. Honestly, I thought we might make it to three for three. But we just so happened to coincide with the release of this series. And I do not like this show. I do not like it, Sam. I am. I do not like Green Eggs and Ham. And I knew I did not like this show from I I, I don't know. What what do you what's your sort of general sentiment? I am cold on this show. I mean, I am also okay, so let's think about this in the context of the other as let's take this of a piece with the other Marvel show WandaVision where it was kind of like, you know, we're doing these quirky golden age of TV pastiches for the first couple of episodes. And then it's going to turn into a family drama that feels kind of prescient because it's happening, you know, like in a pandemic, uh, you know, reality piercing the pocket reality that you've created for yourself. Kind of maybe, you know, maybe that's hidden for you, but this one is just kind of like big capital M Marvel TV show. Like it feels like uh like a it feels like a movie chopped up into however many parts in the way that is not fun, <laughs> I guess. You know what it reminds me of? So one thing I um when we were when we were talking about WandaVision a few episodes ago. You know, I was expressing some irritation because I remember in the rollout for WandaVision, a lot of the way that write-ups framed WandaVision and, and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, I kept seeing the phrase Marvel's foray into television, right? And to me, it was annoying because I was like, look, I watched a bunch of seasons of Daredevil, Jessica Jones, <laughs> Luke Cage. I didn't watch Iron Fist. It never happened, as Future One said, right? But I watched several seasons of Marvel TV shows. And I feel like those shows got erased as like, oh, they were kind of too, you know, I, I don't know. They they almost got talked about like they were failed projects, despite the fact that I would say that most of the seasons of Jessica Jones and most of the seasons of Daredevil were pretty good and had some interesting stuff going on. And at, at their worst, even had some pretty good performances in them, even compared to the actual proper cinematic output of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? 
I thought I felt like people were throwing those shows under the bus so that we could sort of hype WandaVision and Falcon as a reboot. So that we could make breakfast for dinner. Yes. You know, it's but anyway, like But but I say all that to say that I think I, I thought at the time people weren't giving the former Marvel shows enough credit. And then the Falcon and the Winter Soldier comes along. And to me, for the fact that this is being taken seriously as Marvel TV in full force, the show feels so interstitial. It feels so much in the first two episodes of this show that they're kind of being forced to collect a bunch of narrative scraps left over from a couple of movies and really like make oatmeal out of it. And the thing is that I, when I texted you saying that, like, okay, the show is funny, I'm, I, I'm realizing that I really meant it on a better level because in the second episode, and the, you know, actually, let me back up and explain where we're at in the story. Uh, because after Falcon gives up the shield to the Smithsonian, obviously it's confiscated by the U.S. government and given to a uh, random army captain John Walker who in the comics is a US agent which is basically just you know there's the uh arc of the anachronistic Nixon era ish administration that has their government issued <laughs> Captain America and yeah. John Walker is it uh yeah he struggles with you know Filling those shoes, basically, and be and deciding what kind of a Captain America he wants to be, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, uh, you know, the introduction of US Agent makes kind of all of Bucky's and um Falcon's insecurities very like literal, I guess, as around uh their 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 crisis of confidence, as we were yeah. discussing before. Um and when they collide, like uh, the 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 new Captain America team of Captain America, Lamar Hoskins, <laughs> and Buck and the Winter Soldier and Falcon, like they, you know, have a pissing contest. And like in the con in the in in the course of this happening, like you know, they're introducing themselves. He's just like. Yeah, my name's Lamar Hoskins, and they're just kind of like, okay, we're gonna need more than Lamar Hoskins at this point if you're wearing like if you're hanging out of a of an Apache helicopter in tactical gear. Yeah, and he's like, I go by Battlestar, and Bucky goes, Battlestar, stop the car, <laughs> and it feels like it does. If the thing is that the way that he delivers the line doesn't feel like Bucky or the Winter Soldier saying that, it feels like Sebastian Stan like reading the script and being like, Battlestar. Stop the I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I have that meta of a reading of it. it I do. Like, okay, it's, just, it's, it's not it's, like I, well, but the thing is this, right? The way you're talking about how it feels like writing. Listen, I watched I actually watched Civil War last week, right? Um, I watched it right after I watched Snyder Cut. And it's just to me, the Bucky Falcon dynamic in Civil War is one of the best things about the movie. And it's one of the best things about the movie, despite the fact that there are not a lot of words that go into it. You know, there are these glances that they can share. You, it's and it's glances just like, yeah. and, and little and little tiny asides like, can you move your seat up? No. Yeah, yes. And that's it. <laughs> yes. Like, that's it. Like, it's it's not like they don't have to. They don't have to Gilmore girls it. Like, they, yeah. like they seem they, to be doing like. Basically, it's just 
so many it's turbocharged misanthropy. It's like I, there's no need for it to be for there to be as much of it as there is. Yeah. But I guess that, I guess that there there, there kind of has to be because there's not much else going on in the show. You turn it into a full length TV show though, and it feels like Sebastian Stan having to chew through a script. And I. I keep skipping past it. We have to go back to the the first scene of the series because it made me feel a very particular kind of way, right? So the first scene of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it's it, they have to open on an action sequence, right? Syriana filter. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're it. Where are we? We're in Tunisia. We're over Tunisia. We're in the skies. We're, over we're entering Libyan airspace is right. where we're at. Yeah. Right. That's, so we're in southern that's... Tunisia. Yeah. We're over some canyons that look more southwestern United States than South Tunisia, but whatever. Uh, we're not going to Charity's Vacation Corner this week. That's fine. We're in Tunisia. And <laughs> like Falcon is is undercover for the US and he has to jump out of a plane to he's doing his flying thing where he needs to catch some people in midair. <laughs> Who and it's like these men, it's like Russian men wearing pajama suits that allow them to fly. <laughs> and there's this like mid-air chase sequence that I thought was actually really clever at first, right? Because you you got Falcon, who has obviously propulsion, he has wings. You have these these other you have these other people who are in these like weird pajamas well, that okay, give them a so, sort of gliding so you, capability, right? It's yeah, but it's 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 just wing diving suits. Like, but the wing I, diving suits. I can't suits, believe but, that you haven't spent so much time on YouTube just watching compilations of this stuff. But but the thing that's infuriating about it is that the wing diving suits, right? They're completely they're natural. They don't have propulsion, so it, yes, it, it becomes weird because there's you think originally you think it's going to be a completely vertical chase sequence to the ground, right? Where it's like he needs to take it, like Falcon needs to take out all the guys and and recover the guy that they have in their possession that he's trying to get back. And his advantage is going to be that he has propulsion. But then it turns into a sequence where, for whatever reason, those gliding suits allow them to fly laterally. And then you're like, wait, this, this scene, I don't understand what I'm watching. How are these people just flying as if they too have jetpacks like Falcon does? I don't get it. it. It's just like the the whole sequence to me, I'm just like watching the logic of it break down and it goes on too long. I think that it's like the, it does go on too long and the logic of it breaks down because the issue of it is that, yes, like it would stand to reason that because Falcon has propulsion, he would win against like, non-propulse just gliding but the thing is that like yeah yeah but it's but it's but the thing is that like it's relying on like you know the the fact that like people have watched like these uh gopro videos of people in wingsuits diving because it looks like how fast they're going relative to how fast the ground is moving beneath them it's just kind of like how why does anybody do that they would break their neck how are they going this fast and they are going fast relative to the ground, but not to a, you know, government issued winged flying suit with jet pulse engines in it. That doesn't make any sense. It, yes, it, it does break down because of how long it goes on. But if it was like a quick sequence where they were 
uh, where they go from the the air carrier and they dive and then they roll into the helicopters and then that's it and then the chase takes off from there like that would have been cool and then but they then they roll out again and they keep flying <laughs> right can i and i i want to say here i'm not i'm not harping on this scene because I'm trying to pull some sort of TV trope, cinema sins type. This is illogical. What I what I want to say though about this show and about Marvel more generally, right, is you get sort of in a position with comic book stuff where you feel stu- you feel like you're being made to feel stupid for asking sensible questions. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> right, we're talking about superheroes, yeah. and that's a tricky balance, right? Like I, I do. I, I want to do the suspension of disbelief. I want to hand myself over to a show like this and say, do all the flashy stuff that you need to do to be the thing that you are. But there's a sort of weird narrative incoherence or choppiness or a sense that scenes don't really follow from each other in this show. And I'm just two episodes in. I'm not even really sure. Like, I get the sort of broad thing of succeeding Captain America. Otherwise, I have no idea what this show is about. The scenes feel so disconnected to me. And the only connective tissue is them trying to force Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan to do these quips at each other. And I I just feel like I watch a show like this and I have that sense of like, look, I already know I'm watching movies for kids. That is what Disney has turned us all into. Adults who are watching movies that are that are more sensibly for kids. All I ask, Mr. Iger, Mr. Feige, all I ask is don't force me to ask stupid questions about pajama men and, and why they can fly in the same sense that Anthony Mackie can fly despite the fact... You know what I mean? Don't make me ask the stupid questions that I don't want to ask because I want to be able to suspend my disbelief. And I feel like this show is just infuriating on that level where it's just, I have so many questions that I feel stupid for asking and I wish I trusted the show more to get me from scene to scene without being like, wait, what? <laughs> what is happening? What is happening? <laughs> like it, like the thing with the, the stealth mission in the warehouse? Like, explain yes. this. Okay. So, um, the, I guess the literal... F- present clear threat in the show so far are the flag smashers which is a group of people who want to return things to the way they were during the blip which is when everybody you know d- disappeared during the thanos snap don't know what that means don't know how they're gonna do it but they all are super soldiers um and there's this and so like the search or the the, the quest to stop the flag smashers takes takes our heroes to a warehouse in Georgia. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> studio lot in Georgia. It takes us to our studio lot in Georgia. Studio lot in Georgia. For tax purposes. And right. they need to for tax purposes. And they need to infiltrate this warehouse to find the flag smashers. And the thing is is that the front doors of the warehouse are wide open. They, they there are a handful of the flag smashers on the northeast corner of the building, loading up a truck full of medicine and supplies, unawares. So it's not really like they need to infiltrate the warehouse. It's also that Anthony Mackie has wall hacks. 
So he knows that he knows that there's no one actually in this building that they're doing the the Metal Gear Solid one, you know, sneaking mission. <laughs> but they needed to get the joke off about the White Panther like slash White Wolf thing. Yeah, uh, he's just like, hey, you spent a little time. With, look at you being all stealthy because he's wearing the dumb leather jacket. And, yeah, you know. He's just kind of like, uh, look at you being all stealthy. You spend a little time with Wakanda, you come out White Panther. And it's just like, it's actually White Wolf. And, you know, if it's just like, yeah, but why here now? Couldn't you save that for later at some point? I'm sure with the chance to use it would have came up. It's just like, there are, the thing, the thing that what you're hearing, <laughs> the frustration that you're hearing is that there are, you know, parts of the show that exist simply to get jokes off yes very much so very much so that's what they exist to do and you know the therapist is an example you know what the one thing i appreciate there's a therapist bucky obviously has to see a therapist who talks him through his man pain and i you know it's the classic relationship of a tv protagonist and the therapist who's very aggressive and is like you're who, hiding something yeah, from me. Yeah, you know? exactly. Who, You're not who, being honest with who yourself. Who cries and has opinions and suggestions instead of just letting you, like in, in real life, when they just let you talk yourself into a corner. Like, it's not like the, it's, and yes, like it's, the, those also seem like maybe there's the most potential for growth within the show, like those scenes. But yes, they, it is very tropey and we have seen a lot of this before. But it's also like, Bucky otherwise has a probation officer, and yet the therapist act the, the therapist character acts like a probation officer. And you're just like, why don't you just make this character the probation officer? Because she does not act like a therapist. She reminds me, in fact, of Meredith's therapist from Grey's Anatomy. And like that is a hilarious character on Grey's Anatomy because that therapist is just constantly yelling at Meredith and being like, you piece of shit. You're not being honest. Like, you're a terrible person. I'm like, this is not a therapist. This is like a police detective. This is Javert. This is yeah, it's your it's your dream totem that you sit to next to on a park bench and they beat you over the head with a stick every time that you like start bringing up self-destructive behavior. Whatever yes. this is, is like it's not, not something that 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 exists in the real world. Yes, yeah. yeah. And they really keep doubling down, like by you know, by the end of the second episode, especially, you're like, oh, they really, really want to incorporate this therapist character into this plot. Kill me now. I can't take it. I don't know. I don't know. Like, um, Micah, I'm like, I'm going to say a sentence that is a sentence I feel like in, in recent years, I just say as a critic, we both say as a critic in its famous last words, can we talk about the race stuff in this show? <laughs> oh my God. And it's not, this is, we are not, this is not a case of like, let's do a racial analysis of it. Like the show really wants it's us just to weird. talk like, about the just, race It's stuff just in weird show. how pronounced it is, <sighs> given how not so thought through it also is. Yeah, um, yeah. And the show wants us to talk about it. And the it's sh- just... The, sh- the show does want us to talk about... Okay, so, because after... there t- Actually, we could just keep going from the Isaiah story. Yeah. Um, because after the, the, the two of them leave this, like, really hurt, like, man's... Like, I mean, like, crippled from racial trauma man's house. Yeah. Um, Bucky's like, you know, having a conversation with himself, just being like, yeah, like when he said, uh, you know, your people, 
uh, Anthony Mackie says, hey, man, don't take that to heart. As if to say, like, hey, don't feel bad about him being upset about being imprisoned and experimented on for 30 years after, you know, being a war hero because he was black. That has nothing to do with you. You're one of the good ones. Not all. And, not all Bucky. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not all. Not all Bucky's. Um, and then like like as if on cue, a squad car pulls up to say, you know, show us some ID. And this weird sort of like non-confrontation, you know, like it's it's just so many superhero shows in the last half decade have incorporated the dramatic traffic stop. And that's like what's happening here, but it's happening in broad daylight in a neighborhood and they are just walking down the street and two squad cars pull up. Yeah. And like, and then it's Bucky that ends up being taken off to jail and for violating his probation. But it's, it's, I don't know. Hold on. It's set up as the cops being like, first looking at Falcon and being like, turning to Bucky and being like, is this man bothering you? <laughs> yeah, not the, not the guy like, you know, wearing all black and like mur- leather murder gloves uh, in, you know, on a summer day. Um, it's the other guy because he's yeah. black and he doesn't, he's, you know, he's not wearing his outfit so you can't recognize him as Falcon, which is a right. recurring thing throughout the first two episodes of the show. Right, he dressed like he just got off his shift at the Verizon store. So they're it like, likes, it's like the show wants to take a like a stab at the polite racism that you like the racist yeah. microaggressions that you experience if you are just like a black professional. Yeah, but doesn't have any kind of personal understanding of it. It seems you know you you mentioned Gene Dimby earlier. I will say I was watching episode two of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and the moment that scene happened, the awkward police harassment, biracial p- police harassment scene happened. I texted Gene and I said, "I feel like Crash won." <laughs> I feel like I feel like despite the fact that I think it's fashionable among a lot of progressives to make fun of Crash and be like, oh, wasn't Crash the goofiest, most sort of guilty white liberal thing? But then it's just, I feel like, I felt this when we watched Lovecraft Country too, where I was just like, this is just Crash. Like, I every year I watched the influence of Paul Haggis's movie Crash ripple throughout all of culture. <laughs> Everything is Crash now. And I just watched that scene and I was just like, this is Crash. This is you just put Terrence Howard in this scene. Like, what's going on with you? You know what I mean? Like, this is Crash. <laughs> no, you don't, you don't crash need to see no ID, this. man. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I, that's but that's kind of the like Crash is sort of if you had to summarize the more pronounced racial commentary of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, especially in episode two, it's it's Crash core. <laughs> It's how I would, you know? Yeah. And it's frustrating. And I don't want to just dunk on something constantly, even though I am a hater at heart. It's just, I I don't know. I, I find it frustrating because it's so on the nose. And it's, it's, it is so well-intentioned, but it also feels really muddled. And it feels a little off. And it feels a little off in the way that almost everything about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier feels a little off, but it's one thing to feel like Quantum of Solace when you're dealing with the 
parts of your story that are about the flag smashers and about, you know, the guy with the vibranium shield or whatever. But when it's about when you make when you introduce like Tuskegee experiments and you know, anti-black cops, then it's just like, oh, I don't know if I can, like, it hurts that it's off. <laughs> it hurts yeah, a little bit. Sure. And you got, you does. got Anthony Mackie, his credit score all messed Stinks. up. He can't get a loan. It's just, oh, it hurts a little bit that the writing is off mm-hmm. once it starts being off about race. Show needs a meeting with JC. <laughs> it does. Dream Hampton. Uh, we need Dream Hampton in the writer's room to get this thing back on course. Um, what what's your outlook on where this this series is going? The thing is that I ha- I can't really say where it's going to end up or where it's going. I only see things that like could be interesting if they would spend more time on them. Yeah, because like what it is, what Falcon and the Winter Soldier is, besides being a stopgap, is like a show about uh two men that can't imagine stronger or more together versions of themselves than exist right now like that's falcon's issue with being able to accept the shield and bucky's issue with being able to rejoin the living after you know going from one fight to another for 90 years as he says um and i mean like you really begin to get a little bit of that when they go to visit isaiah in the second episode which uh Gene uh, Denby from Code Switch was actually talking about this earlier is a story from uh, comics writer Robert Morales, who he interviewed about it in 2001. And the storyline is like basically what Morales intended it to be was like a more realistic version of what the super soldier project might have been like, like as a more like Tuskegee syphilis study like plot. Because the thing is, right. is that they're not taking like a bunch of white kids from Brooklyn and injecting them with something that they don't know if they're going to live or die afterwards. Yeah. Like they would round up hundreds of black of, of black GIs, test them. Most of them would likely die. Five of them would survive. Well, five of them would survive the change and only one of them would survive the war. That's what happens in the Morales storyline. And he was like afraid that Marvel was going to reject it because it was too depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't and it's like was meant to be like part of like a larger reckoning with like how white the superhero storylines are but like what we get instead is just kind of like you didn't tell me there used to be a black super soldier and like that's it so far but maybe they'll dig into it later um either way i think that that's like important for like where the series could head or how like good capital g good it could potentially be is like really delving into well i don't know it's like i don't know if it can get me to believe in the character drama at this point but if it could that would be the interesting part about it yeah i think those fundamentals are super strong it's just the man the way it's written i just watching this show again to me is from the first is from the opening sequence the tunisia action sequence where I was just like, what is this show? There's something about the quippiness that seems off. And I was like, this is, it feels, it feels, you know, like how it feels like a very triple nine 
uh, like, you know, Netflix action series, like where it's like we're building this up and then it comes out and like the first scene is just like Chopper flying over Warzone and Metallica is playing and then the rest of the movie sucks. It's like there's it's like there's no reason for this. Obviously, it's going straight to Netflix because nobody wanted to put it in a theater. Like, and that is like the vibe of like the first scene of the show feels very like stock action. Yeah, to me, it feels even more uncanny than that. You know, the thing I ended up thinking about by the second episode was Quantum of Solace, right? Ooh, in, in the sense of, okay. if you think of the Bond movies, the Bond movies, whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether they're the historic best, this historic worst movie, they have a consistent brand. But you know when you're watching one of the worst ones, because it's like all of the brand signatures are there, but everything feels a little smudged and it feels a little too low key. And the writing just feels like it's like, oh, this one of them Dalton movies that everybody is forgot it, about. Oh, yeah. So it's like we need to we need to have like, you know, the playful rapport develop between him and his handler. And we need to have a casino scene and also a lounge scene. And there needs to be a chase. We're not really too fussy about how we get to any of those things, though. It's right. Like, right. Is is how Carnival Solace feels, because I mean. Like we have once again, like the the the, the central villain in Quantum of Solace is an axe is a French axe wielding water baron. Water baron. Water baron. And he only becomes an axe wielding water baron capable of going toe to toe with, you know, the world's foremost secret agent in the last 10 minutes of the movie. It's utter nonsense. Yes. Um that's where my head is at. We don't want this to be a wholly negative episode. It should, I, I will say, on my last point about this, though, is just that, again, the previous episode, we talked about Snyder Cut. We both liked Snyder Cut. And yeah, I, I was talking a lot in that episode about how the thing I respect about Snyder Cut is that it just... That's a movie that takes superheroes serious. I, I don't mean serious in a sense of, like, overly seriously. I just mean that it's willing to commit to the bit of what superheroes are and what it would mean to make these people work as a team. And the consequence is that there's a lot of static. The people in that movie don't really like each other. There's a lot of egos clashing and nobody is trying to get these quips out except for the flash. And everybody understands that the flash sucks and is annoying because he thinks he's in a Marvel movie. And so (laughs) it's hard to watch that and then come back to this to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and be like, oh, right, this is how Mar- this is how Marvel thinks this stuff would play out. They think it would just be, you know, Bucky Barnes and the Falcon making jokes about the Hobbit. <laughs> These two depressed people who are, who are having their crisis of confidence about, you know, protecting the world in the absence of the original Captain America, they would just be doing a three-part bit about the Hobbit. That's that's what that's what this is in the Marvel universe, and I can't. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, now that we have been, you know, thoroughly hating on the show for going on half an hour, maybe we should move on to something that we liked, we enjoyed. Yeah, we enjoyed that that moved us. That 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 is gonna keep us coming back. Each Friday, when new when new episodes come out, Invincible, 
Invincible, which began streaming on Amazon Prime. There are three there are three episodes that you can go watch right now on your laptop or whatever you stream stuff on. In fact, you can pause the podcast, go watch it, and then come back. Or just keep listening to the podcast, you know, whatever. Whatever. We're gonna talk about it though. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Uh, right. So, Invincible. I think I texted you about this saying that, like, it was surprisingly, like, I enjoyed it a surprising amount for something that telegraphs not being your parent, your, your kid's superhero show. Because it being a story about, like, a 17-year-old who is, you know kind of feeling out his maturity and his superpowers it's and it you know like it despite it's like really bright color power that's like unexpectedly violent uh it's geared at a young and male audience but i think it actually resonates just like if you are in your 20s and your parents have a house um the sensibility of it is very personable uh so the I mean like the voice acting I think is like the best part of it. There's Stephen Young, J.K. Simmons, Sandra O, oh, Mahersha Lee, Jason Manzukis. It's got um, a good cast. I like this. Mark cast, Hamill. Yeah. yeah, it's a really good cast. And we let Mark Hamill mess around to become a legend the of god. animated voice yeah. acting. Yeah. The god. Um like it's, really though, his his like video game and in cartoon credits are nuts at this point. Yeah. We have a lot of we have run a lot of content and had a lot of debates about who the Joker is, if it's like Jack Nicholson or Jared Leto or Heath Ledger. But like the Joker is Mark Hamill. Like, you know, if you don't like it, change your mind. Um, you're right. You're right. But uh, I digress. Invincible is like a superhero story that hits all of the superhero tropes, but kind of like makes you look at them three times. <laughs> Uh, and that's kind of the way that it subverts them. So like they'll have like the usual Greek chorus of high school students in the hallway that attend, you know, our protagonist standing up to the school bully. 
but it happens three separate times and it's a different it's slightly different each time and he never actually really fights back but um you know each thing reveals something different about the way that mark grayson handles problems versus the way that his dad handles problems um and his dad is omni-man uh this universe is like superman for all intents and purposes and he is like a freelance member of the Guardians of the Globe, which is this universe's Justice League. Yeah, and it all all of that setup is very self-consciously like we're aping, you know, we're aping elements and tropes from, you know, the mainstream big budget superhero stuff. You said two things, though. You said unexpectedly violent and you said subversion, right? So like the unexpectedly violent, it was very unexpected to me. Unex- it was very effective at being unexpectedly yeah, violent. Yeah, <laughs> I did not read the comic. Yeah. You know, but, you know, it's TVMA. It's, you know, like 18 plus on the streaming, whatever. And um, like I said, I like the colors, the colors yeah. are so bright. Like the colors are just so bright. And it seems like so childish and whimsical. But then, you know. People are actually bleeding, losing limbs. And then at the by the end of the first episode, there are entrails and brains and all this other stuff. Yeah. And it's like very good at setting you up that even because, again, I even noticed the TVMA sticker. Right. And to me, I just paid a lot of attention to the art style when I was, you know, just in the beginning of the first episode. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is sort of this is um, splitting the difference between sort of Batman, the animated series and like the boondocks. Right. It has that sort of bright outdoorsiness of something like the Boondocks, but otherwise, like, I don't know. It's really, I was going to say, like, it resembled the Boondocks because of the first com- because of that first conversation between the yeah. security guards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also, like, another thing that made me think about the, the Boondocks is like the coloring of the black security guard is like. Yeah noticeably ashy it yeah. feels like i, I yeah. i'm no, right, but you know right, what though. i mean you know yeah. what i mean yeah but yes yeah. it does split the difference between like batman the animated series and like the boondocks because there are also things in it that feel very like anime like the way that it's like animated feels like the way that like western studios have been delving into anime like the way that it's animated feels like the amount of like uninterrupted special moves for instance. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like it's... But that's the that's the thing to me that is, when you said unexpectedly violent, the thing that makes it so unexpected is that art style. The art style does a really good job of sort of putting your mind in a mindset where you're, you think you're watching a kind of show that you've seen before that would not get as violent as this show does very suddenly. Um and then the other part, right, is the subversive. And, like, that's always the tricky word, especially at this stage of comic it, Because stuff. it's not, like, so every version of this type of story feels like it exists. Yeah. So it feels subversive that it feels like a family drama rather than a show about superheroes. Right. Or that it feels like a show about doubt more than it's a show about superheroes. Right. Right. Because um, I was just going to say, like, when you, if you sort of say, oh, this is doing it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Be like, how that oh. word gets thrown around in anime, right? Of like, oh, this is doing a subversion of the whatever yeah, genre. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, no, I mean, like, a thing also about the, the, the production of the show is that um, 
often the way that voice acting is done is that like you know everybody does their siloed parts yep when it comes together at the end but um jk simmons and in interviews like leading up to the release of the show was talking about how him steven yun and sandro got to like actually sit around a table and act out like their scenes together as nice. a family okay um which is like also what gives like the scenes like say for instance um after okay so after mark gets his powers his dad is just kind of like you know i'm gonna put you through the paces like here's how you fly and it's like a really helpful explanation of the physics of the the world that you are you know stepping into while watching this um but then suddenly like you know he's just like if you want to be a superhero you got to learn how to take a punch and he catches mark in the chest really good and knocks the wind out of him and it really like you feel like the way that like steven young does the voice acting in this part where he's just kind of like you heard me yeah it's just kind of like <laughs> you really feel like it is not just like pain that he's feeling but like an actual betrayal of trust yeah, and it's funny because a lot of characters in the show at various points have to do like that's a that's a kind of scene they have to do, right? Yes. The scene where it's like, yo, fall back. You actually kind of went a little too far. And, 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 and yeah. those moments actually do feel like some of the most real moments of this show, where it's just somebody went a little too far. Yes. Um, and I think that's like in terms of subversive elements, I that's the signature those are the sort of traces in the show where i'm like ah this show is good at doing that it's good at underscoring a sense of if you had you know in a world where these powers exist it's really easy to take it too far um i don't know and it makes me think about this stuff in a way that i i haven't thought about with with other things from marvel or, or dc you know it's it's kind of like i was talking about how do you make a good Superman movie uh, last week when we were talking about Justice League? Mm -hmm. And it's really focusing on like the mental aspect of what it would be like to actually be invincible, but not know how to be a good person. That's the that's the biggest challenge. Yeah. And like it feels like invincible is attempting to answer that question in a way that doesn't feel cheesy or boring. Yeah, and also, though, is not up its own ass, right? Like, it's not yeah. subversive to that particular fault of feeling like it's just pretentious, right? I, I think yeah. it's actually a pretty straightforward show. And it it really, there's a lot of relief from the duty to subvert, right, in, in the moments when it is more so just a character drama about teens and this family. Um, I feel like that's when it gets to be a bit more naturalistic and, and sort of hook you with, are you invested in the drama among these people? Um, it, I don't know. It's just a very balanced show. I think it's very good at being balanced and at being, you know, having confidence in its ideas without ever feeling like it's retreating up its own ass. So far. It's three so episodes. far. Why are so there only far, three, episodes three episodes again? Like, what's going it's, on? Like, because it's going to be, it's going to be eight parts. They're going to be new episodes every Friday. Um, but they're supposed to be multiple seasons because they're the, the, the comic that the show is based off of ran uh, 144 issues. It's an image comic, right? Image back in the game. Let's go. Image back in the game. Um, but yeah, like it is, uh, you know, I, I wish there were more right now. I would like to watch all of this show. 
Yeah, they they pulled the the they pulled the loop on where it's just like, come on, man, y'all doing this release strategy? Y'all just want us to do two podcast episodes about it instead of one? I peep game. I know what's going on. Can't hustle a hustler. But yeah, but the, the, that that is was, was they trying to get the two the the, the two pass content thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we probably will talk about it again because we both really like the show. So. Yeah, it's pretty tight. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's like me complimenting American TV animation. What? But here we are. I don't know what to tell you. Wow. You know, it's I mean, like you're growing right in front of me. It's it's incredible. Mike, I've been really encouraged by the emails that we've gotten specifically after the Attack on Titan episode and then also the Snyder Cut episode. Um, we have very smart fans. We have very good conversations with our fans. I literally, when I was watching the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I emailed one of our listeners, Michael, um, who's former military. And I was just like, it, it's always bugged me. Captain America's rank. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it's just like, I guess it comes with the territory, right? That, you know, Captain America is like a hundred, whatever years old. And you kind of just got to accept that. Yeah. The, the weird, there's some wonkiness with his age to rank ratio <laughs> that just comes with the territory. But then it's just the in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, when they enter when they introduce fake cap, it's just the army is like they just pick like a random army captain. <laughs> it's like, well, I, you tell me he has to be a literal captain? Like he just you just pick some random kid from OCS and he's a cap he's <laughs> Captain America because he's a literal <laughs> captain. His rank is captain. Um so anyway, I've had this good conversation about the nature seems, of seems <laughs> seems like a pretty like you know shoddy selection process. Um, yes, uh, I don't know. I I feel like I want to encourage more conversation. I want to encourage more emails about this stuff. I know in this episode in particular, we've been very salty about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, and I really am be- because like a lot of the time, like I th- I really thought after the Attack on Titan episode, I had a come to Jesus moment. I mean, I had it on the podcast itself, but I really was like, man, you know, we have a lot of we have a lot of listeners that like Attack on, T- on Titan. Um, the fact that we we got so many emails about the show is why I took it seriously enough to be like, oh, I'm gonna sit down and watch this. We had a good conversation. I had a good time watching it. I look forward to watching the fourth season. And. You know, I think increasingly doing this podcast with you, Micah, like whenever you're warm on something that I'm not or whenever our listeners are warm on something that I'm just I go in being super skeptical of. I do have this sense of like, no, I actually want to hear people out about it. You know, I do want somebody to help me sort of lower my guard a little bit. Um, So I really do appreciate it. Especially because people always write us in good humor. I don't think anybody's ever heard me, you know, shit on something offhandedly and and written in the show being like, you know, I just really, you just really disrespecting Zuko over here. You know what I mean? Like People people know it's me. I'm loud and wrong. People understand that. People generally write in and they, they make the case, you know, for the thing that they like. And people are very eloquent when they email us. So keep emailing us, you know? I would I want to hear from the people who are who are into the Falcon and the Winter Soldier so far. Honestly, I really do. 
or people who can just speak to speak more to like the comics, right? The, in the source material that they've. Sure, know, like if you've read if you've read more about like you know U.S. agent than the couple of requisite issues, or you know just some if you have some sort of like vital knowledge that will kind of snap this into focus for us um you know we welcome it um yeah and it even but beyond beyond vital knowledge also if you just have a different point of view on it yeah i'd like you know it's doesn't have to be prescriptive yeah if you just like this show yeah uh explain yourself i'm kidding i'm kidding just if you like this show please email us about it if you like Paul Haggis's movie Crash, email me about that. I mean, at this point, we're just really, we're heterodox over here. I'm just open to all opinions, I guess. Like, just, you know, <laughs> we would love to hear that. We would love to hear it. We would love to hear that, wouldn't we, Jackie? Um, yeah. Uh, email us, man. Soundonlypod at gmail.com. Michael, one thing listeners will never be able to appreciate is how much you look like Billy D. Williams from certain angles. We, one day we might mess around and have to do like a YouTube video version of this podcast. You really do. You you had your angle. You had your head cocked to a side. And Once again, like, don't hate me because I'm beautiful, nigga. You just need to be, just worry worry about you. Worry about you, and you know maybe we'll we maybe we will do some video content in the near future. You know. I'm Justin Charity, and I'm Michael Peters. Soundonlypod at gmail.com. We'll see y'all next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.